blossoms in the desert, streams in the dry land, blind eyes that are opened and lonely people led home. That's the vision of the 35th chapter of the book of Isaiah. Joy that comes as a complete surprise. Joy that comes where it has no business being. Joy that comes not from our deserving, but from all God's doing. That's the Reverend Talitha Arnold, and today she offers a powerful sermon for Advent called, And the Desert Shall Bloom. I'm Peter Wallace. It's day one. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now to introduce this week's preacher, here's our host, Peter Wallace. Thank you, Sherry. We're honored to welcome back to Day One today the Reverend Talitha Arnold, Senior Minister of the United Church of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Talitha came to the church in 1987 when it was a relatively new church start of the United Church of Christ. An Arizona native, Talitha is a graduate of Pomona College and earned her Master of Divinity from Yale Divinity School. She was Interim Associate University Chaplain for Yale and served congregations in Connecticut and Arizona before being called the United Church of Santa Fe. Talitha, thanks for being with us again. Thank you. It's a great joy to to be with you and with the uh, Day One congregation. Last week, you introduced us to the United Church of Santa Fe. What are some of the aspects of the life of the church and its people that bring you the most joy? Well, that's a great question. I think the bottom line for me, uh, Peter, is the thing that brought me the most joy when I was 25 years old and mm. doing a student internship as an, as an associate minister for what had been my home church back in Tempe, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And that, I have to say, is, is seeing every single Sunday morning a group of people coming together, trying their best to be the body of Christ as I like to say, warts and all. (laughs) (laughs) There's just something magical about people coming through the doors of a church voluntarily Mm. um, to somehow be together, pray together, engage this ancient word, that delightful heady mix that congregations can be Mm. of old and young and in between, people who are looking for some kind of solace or peace in their life, Um, for that one hour, looking for some kind of beauty and hope, uh, looking for needing one another, Mm. needing one another to breathe together, to pray together, to sing together, to hold one another, and to hold this world uh, together. And I think that has been true for me. It's why I went into pastoral ministry to begin with. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had no intention of going to seminary. I had no intention of going past my first year of seminary. I had no intention whatsoever of going into pastoral ministry. Mm. I entered college, set to major in biology and zoology, and go to law school and become an environmental protection lawyer. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And even when I went to seminary on a one-year fellowship initially, um, I was going to do over, you know, I was going to do overseas work, agricultural mm. development, or teaching, or something. I had no 
inclination whatsoever to serve a local congregation. Mm. And yet that has been my entire life ministry for the last several years. <laughs> I'm not going to disclose any more than that. <laughs> so, and that's, and it continues to be. And, and I think the other thing is serving a congregation as I've had the, the privilege of doing, um, who want to engage these ancient texts as much as I do and, and do it in a whole sort of lively, creative kind of way that is deep, not just, okay, what's the next new thing we need to be about, um, but really let the text speak to us. To quote the late and wonderful Frederick Buechner, uh, working with a group of people who are willing to listen to their lives and to listen to the life of Scripture and to the lives of people from thousands of years ago and somehow find the connection. Hmm. I also, about the church that I serve, I am deeply, deeply grateful that from the beginning, before I became the pastor, uh, it has been a church that has tried to love God, neighbor, and creation. Mm. Um, even when the church was in like 35 people, uh, it happened, it, it was founded in 1980, and within months after it was founded or started, a group of 35 people came together with the uh, founding minister, Reverend Marty Baumer. There was a horrific riot at mm. the um, at the state penitentiary, which is just ten miles outside of Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. And this church, small as it was, got together with other congregations, both Christian and Jewish, to try to figure out in the aftermath of that horrible riot um, what was needed. And this church helped to start what is now a daycare center mm. at the prison so that the children of the wives, partners, girlfriends, grandmothers, whatever, uh, of the people who were visiting and visiting their loved ones in prison would have a safe place to stay rather mm. than having to sit out in their cars. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the church went on. Even the first year I was there, the church was in the process of starting the first Habitat for Humanity chapter in Santa Fe. And it's gone on to do to help start up a lot of the social agencies, ones that serve persons who are unhoused, a school church partnership for tutoring and advocacy for our local public schools, um, and has stepped out in other kinds of ways, whether it's in immigration issues or um, refugee issues. It's a church that really seeks to live their faith in the world. Mm. And that is a gift beyond compare as a pastor. Beautiful. Well, this Sunday continues this season of Advent, and your sermon focuses on the reading from Isaiah 35. Would you read it for us? Sure. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, Be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. The Lord will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. God will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, 
and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, that they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Word of God, word of life. Isaiah is full of hope and joy here, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Talitha, we look forward to hearing your sermon on this, which you've titled, And the Desert Shall Bloom. Thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you, Peter, for the opportunity. This is Peter Wallace. All of us at Day One send you our prayers for a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This is a critical time of year for us as we rely on the generous tax-deductible year-end gifts of our faithful listeners. 2023 promises to be an amazing year of ministry for Day One, and it's the year I plan to turn the microphone over to a new host and producer when I retire in August. I love this ministry and the important work we do in proclaiming God's hope for a hurting and divided world. If you too appreciate the wonderful preachers we present week after week, I hope you will send a much-needed donation before December 31st. Your gift will be matched by a group of our trustees and other friends, so the impact of your gift will be doubled. Please mail your gift to Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia 30305 or call us at 404-815-9110, or give securely online at dayone.org. Thank you, Merry Christmas, and may God bless you in the new year. The rose bush really had no business being there. The ground was too hard with too many rocks. The rest of the yard could barely sustain grass, much less a three-foot-high rose bush. Trash from the street collected against the fence, and the children found bottles of various brands in the yard on a regular basis. The backyard of the Bristol Street house was no rose garden, not by any stretch of the imagination. That lone bush with the red roses really had no business being there. 
My friend Joan had planted it when she and her family first moved from the housing projects across Bristol Street to the small frame house with a tiny backyard. She and her husband had lived in the inner city for eight years by that time. With a third child, they needed more space than they'd had in the apartment, as well as some degree of privacy. Of course, people kept coming by at all hours, even at that house. That came with the territory, or at least with their ministry. Joan and her husband had helped develop a group ministry in the inner city after they both graduated from seminary, and both of them were ordained. They had moved into the projects, lived on a subsistence salary like most of their neighbors, and raised their family in one of the poorest areas of one of the poorest cities on the East Coast. Because of their work and their commitment to the people, they opened their house like they had the apartment to the neighborhood. People came by at all hours of the day and night. Some were organizers and neighborhood leaders who came from meetings to discuss everything from rent control to rat control. Some were parents who needed another parent to talk with. Some were street people needing food or a place to stay or simply someone to listen. The work and the life were hard. Most of their neighbors lived so close to the edge, the edge of homelessness, the edge of total poverty, sometimes the edge of addiction. There were times when the needs were so great and the resources so small, when the poverty and racism seemed overwhelming. There were times when Joan felt close to the edge, too, just a step away from despair. I think that's why she planted the rosebush. It really made no sense in that bit of a backyard. It was a hassle to water in the summer, and it always looked half-dead in winter. But every spring, when it first turned warm, Joan would go out and dig around the bush. She pruned it, fertilized it, worked the soil. And every year it was filled with bright red roses. Whenever life or ministry got to be too much, Joan would go out to the backyard. She'd sit in the dirt by her little rosebush that had no business being there. It bloomed all summer long. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, sings the prophet in today's lesson. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly. Most biblical scholars agree that this 35th chapter of Isaiah has no business being where it is either. The chapters all around it are harsh and desolate, filled with images of death and despair. Isaiah must tell the people that they have been unfaithful to God, grossly unfaithful. And he must also tell them the consequences of that faithlessness. A foreign nation will overrun them and take them away into captivity. They will be exiles and slaves, gathered like persons in a pit, shut up in prison. Not only the people, but even the land will suffer. Once Israel had been the vineyard of the Lord and Judah a pleasant planting. But now, says Isaiah, the hedge is torn down and the vineyard devoured. It is a wasteland, overgrown with briars and thorns. Like the people in the long march to exile, the earth will stagger like a drunkard. It will fall and not rise again. Those are the words of Isaiah, or at least what is known as 1st Isaiah 
chapters 1 through 39. Words of destruction and desolation, words that describe deserts and wastelands, dried-up hopes and wasted lives. Such words echo through these first 39 chapters. Everywhere, except in chapter 35. This chapter uses different words, like joy and rejoicing, strength and courage, streams and springs in the desert. Chapter 35 sings of promise and of life. Such joyous words seem out of place in the world of first Isaiah, as out of place, perhaps, as a rose bush blooming on Bristol Street. Today is the third Sunday of Advent, the joyous Sunday, it's sometimes called, which is why Isaiah 35 is one of the readings for the day. I don't know about you, but often by this time in these weeks before Christmas, I've about had my fill of joy. One more happy carol, one more smiling Santa, one more fa-la-la-la-la, and I'll tilt into Scroogedom. That's why this passage is important for this day two weeks before Christmas. The world around us will try to tell us where to find joy and how to celebrate and rejoice in these days. Isaiah 35 also tells of joy and rejoicing, but it is a particular kind of joy with some particular characteristics. The chapter sings of the joy God gives, which is usually where we would least expect it. Not department stores or malls, but in more out-of-the-way places, in a backyard on Bristol Street, in a manger filled with straw, in a chapter found in First Isaiah. Page after page of Isaiah is filled with sorrow and sadness. The prophet takes us deeper and deeper into the despair of the people and the desolation of the land. Chapter 34 tells of God's rage against the nations. God has doomed them, given them over to slaughter. All their host shall wither like a leaf withering on a vine, or fruit withering on a fig tree. The streams of Edom shall turn to pitch, and her soil to sulfur. From generation to generation it shall lie in waste. Then, seemingly out of nowhere, comes a new word, a new vision, of land that comes back to life, like the crocus it shall blossom abundantly. A new vision of people who come back home. God will strengthen hands made weak by years of captivity. God will make firm knees feeble from walking. God will give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, and courage to those who fear. There is no context for such a vision. Nothing that precedes this chapter gives a clue as to what is in store. Sometimes joy, God's joy, comes like that. There's also no reason for this chapter. The people have not changed. There is no account of mass confession or mass repentance. No return to faith before the return from exile. There are simply the promises of a safe journey on a highway where even fools will not be led astray. Everlasting joy will be on the heads of the people, but there is no rational reason for such gladness. The people have done nothing to deserve it. 
Chapter 35 is all God's doing. Joy, the joy that God gives, is like that. That's a good thing to remember, especially in this season. I doubt we'd have a whole lot to celebrate come Christmas if the joy God offered in Bethlehem was dependent on our deserving it. Blossoms in the desert, streams in the dry land, blind eyes that are opened and lonely people led home. That's the vision of the 35th chapter of the book of Isaiah. Joy that comes as a complete surprise. Joy that comes where it has no business being. Joy that comes not from our deserving, but from all God's doing. Joy is like that. These are for you, Mr. Lacey said, as he handed my mother the flowers. Shirley thought you might like them. He stood on the porch, my mother too flustered to invite him in. That was probably good, since the screen door kept him from seeing the tears that welled up in her eyes as she wiped her hands on her apron. We were cleaning the carpet. I don't remember the specific reason for the flowers. I don't think there was one, other than it was the summer when my brother was in the hospital for a long time, and my other brother was starting college, and my mother was wondering where the money was going to come from on her teacher's salary. But there was no special reason for the flowers. I do remember it was the only time I ever saw Mr. Lacey, who lived across the street, come to our house. I also remember it was the only time I saw someone give my mother flowers. Mr. Lacey went back home after he'd done his errand. My mother wiped her eyes. She wasn't one to cry much. Well, she said, that was certainly a surprise. I wonder where they should go. She dug around under the sink for a vase, filled it with water, and put the flowers on the coffee table in the living room. I remember they stayed there for a long time that summer. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our preacher today was the Reverend Talitha Arnold, Senior Minister of United Church of Santa Fe, New Mexico, a United Church of Christ congregation. For a free transcript of her sermon for the third Sunday of Advent titled, And the Desert Shall Bloom, Call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Day 1 depends on the financial donations of our faithful listeners. Please consider supporting our ministry with a generous year-end gift. We appreciate it. This is Peter Wallace. Next week on Day One, we're delighted to welcome the Reverend Jenny McDevitt. 
senior pastor of Shandon Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina. Her inspiring sermon for the fourth Sunday of Advent is called Joseph, a Higher Righteousness of Love. Please join us next time on Day One. Now, our day one preacher, Talitha Arnold, offers some final reflections about her Advent sermon today called, And the Desert Shall Bloom. And Talitha, thank you for this much-needed tonic of joy and hope. You started by sharing the beautiful story of Joan and her husband, who helped develop a group ministry in the inner city, moved into the projects, and served those around them. It was hard work, a hard life, but Joan planted that rosebush in an unexpected place, drawing hope and joy from it. You pointed out that Isaiah 35 is also unexpected. It has no business being where it is, just like that rosebush. In Isaiah chapters 1 to 39, known as 1st Isaiah, we find chapter after chapter of harsh and desolate prophecy full of images of death and despair because of the people's gross unfaithfulness. And then this chapter blooms in the midst of the darkness. I wonder if you'd say more about how we can look for the unexpected glimpses of hope and joy in a time that can seem so dark for us. Thank you, Peter. This chapter, chapter 35 of Isaiah, because I grew up in the, in the desert southwest, in Phoenix and Tempe, Arizona, middle of the Sonoran Desert, it always had special meaning for me. Mm. Because when when spring comes to the desert after the early and the late rains, it's not like a New England spring. It doesn't just sort of all of a sudden hit you over the head with flowering fruit trees that are just are amazing. Mm. But spring comes, the desert blooms in much more subtle kinds of ways, and you have to look for it. Uh, tiny little flowers lupin and um, desert poppies that can make a whole mountainside ablaze with color. Mm. And so I think even as a kid growing up, and as a bit of background, my mother was a desert botanist Mm. um, and plant pathologist. She too had grown up in the Arizona desert. And so I think I learned from her early on about the God of small things, the joy of small things, Mm. and that sometimes you have to wait for the desert to bloom, and when it does, it will take your breath away, but not like it does in other places. Mm-hmm. So that for me, then, as I thought about as I thought about this sermon, and and also as I thought about as a pastor helping a congregation prepare for Christmas, I know that for myself, being part of a community of faith, especially when I was in middle school and high school, which is actually a time when I wasn't attending church on a regular basis for a whole variety of reasons, partly because of things that were going on in my family, I still went to the Christmas Eve candlelight services Mm -hmm. at Tempe First Congregational Church because that was the one thing I could count on, Mm. 
that no matter what was going on in my family, no matter what Christmas was going to be like that year, no matter what was going on in the wider world, no matter who was or wasn't getting along or all those kinds of things that go on in our individual lives and in the lives of our families and our communities, that going to that late night Christmas Eve service, hearing the familiar passages, singing the carols, Mm -hmm. and most of all, holding that one little candle lit against the the shadows and the darkness, and then seeing a whole whole sanctuary filled with each of our own little lights— that taught me a lot about joy. Yeah. And and for me as a pastor and as a preacher, I think it's really important for us to help people see where joy can come in a season that has so much commercial joy mm-hmm. going on. The hallmark specials that all have everybody by the end getting along and getting <laughs> together and all sitting down at dinner together and uh, you know or or whatever that that it doesn't all work out by Christmas. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, it, sometimes Christmas comes and the family is still at odds with each other mm. or there is still a war raging somewhere, uh, whether it's in our own hearts or in this world. But what are the places and times where we can see God's beauty, God's hope, God's love, God's joy breaking through? Mm. I really think that is one of our primary responsibilities as pastors, not Mm -hmm. to gloss over the hard stuff, but to see how to point people to where people can experience it. Talitha Arnold, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Peter and Donald and the whole staff for making all of this possible. Thank you. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever. Mm